0: Hi friend, welcome to this week's podcast from the First Baptist Church of Nokomis, where we are building the kingdom of God through the lives of everyday people. If you are new, you can visit our website at fbcnokomis.com. Click on our visitor information page to sign up for our e-newsletter or to learn more about our ministries. We also invite our regular listeners to partner with us and support our digital ministries by clicking the Give Online button on our homepage. Okay, here's today's We're going to go into a little quick review and then... uh... First service, I'm going to give you guys a little bit more context than uh, second service. Second service, again, we have the kids that tend to get easily distracted, and it gets pretty crazy, so I'm not going to reference the scripture points, but if you want to read 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, I'm going to give you a little hint. I'm going to talk about David in more depth today, and David, in First and Second Samuel, I'm going to give you a little fun. First and Second Samuel is kind of like the... the R-rated story of David's life. Chronicles, they have the, the king authors, the, the the scribes, if you will, the ones that write down all the king's doings, they sort of polish it up and they make it G-rated. You know, the Bathsheba story is not in there. But Samuel is like raw material, and we're going to get into David's life, especially as it reflects and, and, and speaks into this 23rd Psalm. So... So we've we got our luggage, and we have baggage. We have things that maybe in your life you just keep taking on. And I shared last week there's two reasons that you put stuff in that baggage you carry with you. Okay? The first one is you never know. right? You never know. You never know when somebody's going to die, so I'm going to have grief with me ready and re- available all the time. You never know when your kids are going to do something that's really stupid, and so I'm going to be worried, and I'm going to keep that in the bag all the time. You never know when you're going to have to pull that out and be ready for it. I don't want to be surprised. So you just keep packing the bag with stuff, right? Now, guys, we might be a little different, but you know, you never know. You never know when we want to go out for a joyride, so you've got to get a side-by-side. You never know when you're going to want to have a little extra in the camper, so you need to make sure it's got five slide-outs and it's too heavy for your truck to tow. <laughs> Sorry, we've been having some of those conversations in my family. When is something too much, right? You never know when you're going to need a three-car garage. You never know when you're going to need a bigger house. You never know. Why not? Those two things put a lot of weight on us. And I asked you last week to consider Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30. Jesus says, My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Take my yoke upon you and I will give you rest. Jesus was saying, I'm going to have a purpose for you. I have a plan for you. I'm not just taking your burden and letting you do whatever you want. But what I give you is light and good and pleasant. And so then we said, you know, with Jesus, you can look at those things that you're trying to take on, that you're carrying, that make things heavier, and say, not right now. Yes, I may have to be concerned for my kids, but not right now. I may have to really plan for a lot of things in the future, but I don't have to worry about them, not right now. Yes, I want some better things in my life, but if I can't get them now, I need to stop obsessing about them. It's not right now. And the more you say that, the more you are in the presence of this Spirit of God that is simply saying, I'm content with what I have, then I really do feel like life is lighter and better. Not missing out but better. In fact, one of the things that's probably the biggest misconception about this missing out and what we need to have in order to be happy is what Max Lucado calls the baggage of want. So we're gonna get into this this want for a minute. Now I know I've got everything in here imaginable and it's pretty heavy stuff, right? Well, when you think about everything that you put in that bag, There's one interesting piece that we've put in there, and I'm going to get to it here in a second. We put stuff in here that ultimately we really scaled it down to stuff we want. We feel like it's a have-to-have. Now, I want to emphasize, there's a difference between needs and wants, but needs, in many cases, are wants, but wants that aren't necessarily needs are often the have-to-haves. I have to have it. And everybody who has a child has had that son or daughter say to you, but I have to have it in order to be happy. Every one of us has talked to a friend or a neighbor. I have to get out of this relationship in order to be happy. I have to have the person that I'm supposed to be with. I have to have a new car. This one's broken and running apart. I have to have Maslow does the hierarchy of needs, and he puts that first foundational need is security, and then on top of that he puts the uh, the you know the the food and the the shelter, and so you know you need the security, you need you need a place to survive, and then you need some food to supply, to, to, and then the next one's belonging, which is like family and and you know people that you can that that you can count on to care for you that you can care for them and then above that is this esteem which goes into our workplace and you need to feel satisfied that you're doing something that is of, of a commonly good and then the top one is a self-actualization that Maslow says you eventually want to know that your purpose in life has has left this overarching accomplishment like your whole life had purpose and that's that self-actualization it's kind of like the old food chart. it's really small at the top where the first one that he lays down is this this Foundation. The thing is, is that there's a lot of good things in life that we're allowed to have, but when we consider them the have to haves, I'm gonna suggest we are overreaching. You know, like this thing that I want. This apple. Anybody ever asked the question about Genesis chapter three, how the apple escaped the whole bad news scenario? Right? The serpent got it rough. Like the snake is forever the hated snake. Nobody likes snakes. Nobody wants snakes. And yes, some Sunday, I'm going to have snakes and kittens. And I'm going to share to you how biased we really are because you're going to say, "Cute little kittens. I'm going to say, a snake's never gone into my garage and torn it up. But the cat that laid kittens in it had kittens in it and they had a family. And my kids told me, leave them in there. Let them have their life. Don't, don't hurt them. Put them out in the cold. I'm like, well, they came in from the cold. I don't know where they came from. But those snakes, cut them in half. And the apple. Nobody ever said about the apple, what a horrible thing. First of all, it says fruit. It doesn't say apple, so we're just sort of assuming, right? That sort of comes with with the mythology of what happened in the garden. But Adam and Eve, this wasn't a basic need, was it? They had the whole rest of the garden. They didn't need the food. But Eve said, it looked pleasing to eat and it would give me the wisdom of God. So I have to have it. The fruit in itself isn't bad. It was the reason why she assumed she wanted it. That was a have to have it. And she was overreaching when she took the apple and ushered in the fall of humankind. And by the way, when Adam and Eve ushered it in, because most probably heard me say this, and he, she gave some to Adam who was with her, so while she commits the sin of commission, he commits the sin of omission, and mutually they sin and usher in our fallen state. No, the apple wasn't bad. It just wasn't for them at that time. You know, you have toddlers when they're walking around. You ever have a toddler overreach for something, right? It's on the coffee table. My favorite now is we have those little carrier monkeys, I call them, you know, the little sniffling, sneezing, you know, and they're always at our feet and always around. And the thing that probably bothers me the most is when the little toddler decides they want a drink of my soda. Well, toddlers need sippy cups, you know, they need things to just be contained, and they don't realize that when they go to grab a cup by the top of the cup that they're reaching for, that when they pull it down, it just comes falling, all over the rug, all over the floor, all over the couch, all over the child, which is the least of my concerns. (laughs) Yes, I should feel bad about that, but that child was overreaching. We've seen that countless times. We've been there. We're overreaching for a vehicle that we think we have to have. We're overreaching for a house that we feel like we have to have. We're overreaching for a relationship that we have intimacy with before we have commitment, before we've made sacrifices. We're overreaching. I kind of challenge this when you get a chance and you go to Right Now meeting and you watch the sermons, I'm taking it a different direction than Max Lucado takes it. And I think I really just felt like his sermon is great, but it didn't challenge enough that sometimes our wants aren't bad you know sort of positioned this you just shouldn't want the wants it's not that they're bad it's when they're the have-to-haves when they step you outside of your security, you kind of catch that, right? When Adam and Eve took the apple, they no longer had this, we are, we are naked and without shame. Now they notice their nakedness. Now they notice their insecurity. They realize what they've ushered in to humanity. And so they hid. Anytime you ask the question, is this a want that I'm overreaching for, then just play it out. Will it strap you financially? Will it strap you emotionally? Is this something you'll regret tomorrow? It's always simple to use a 24 hour rule, pray about it, to think about it, and then come back to it. But that is exactly what creates that lack of security. And these things leave us wanting out of an insecurity for a to have. And that's when we get to Psalm 23. David begins Psalm 23 with the first verse. Go ahead and repeat after me. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We're going to learn six verses. This first verse positions that God is my shepherd I shall not want. Okay. In six verses, David the King is reflecting on his life. The first four verses he's giving God the characteristics that he knows and understands as a shepherd. He reverses it, and now instead of being the shepherd, he's the sheep. And in the last two verses, he he's taking the kingship of God, of his own kingship, and he's saying, Wait a second, I'm really not the greatest king. God is my king, and he he positions the Godhead of his life, as king of his life, in these four verses, the orders is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, a funeral no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they protect me. You prepare a table before... He transitions, you see that? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You know, in my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Imagine David reflecting and reminiscing, creating this song. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He begins to position his whole life back to where he would want it to be all along. Now this is important because the first four verses about David as a shepherd are a very different life than the last two verses of David as a king. So I'm going to throw some things out and if you re- read the story of David, you can follow along. But David's life as a shepherd boy was the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Even as a shepherd, he didn't want. Even though his life was threatened. Even though his brothers picked on him. Even those brothers, like Joseph's brothers just told him he wasn't good enough. In fact, his dad left him out. Didn't even acknowledge when he was going to be anointed, the next king of Israel. And Samuel says, do you have another son? And Jesse's like, oh, these are all my sons. Oh, wait, the one, youngest one, nobody cares about us. We just left him out there. We would have never thought the youngest would be anointed. And then they have this battle against the Philistines. And the shepherd boy goes to the camp to bring to his brothers. And they say, what are you doing here? And he goes, what, what's he doing there? Goliath is out threatening him. And he says, who would stand up against God? The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my, David as a shepherd was never intimidated by what was out there. And you get all along his the sense of his, his character and his early ongoing is: I want God to be honored. What we see in, in 1 Samuel 13, that when he's anointed, but God has chosen him, he's a man after God's own heart. You catch that? David the shepherd boy, not the king, didn't have everything, was the runt of the litter, if you will, and yet those are the times we see him want for nothing more than just to give God honor and to do good, to be a good shepherd boy, to keep the lions and tigers and bears, oh my, away from the sheep. Even after he was successful with Goliath, the shepherd boy was elevated to a position to be a warrior but it brought into the king's space to play music for the king to soothe the king's anger and the king even threw things at David in his anger and rage and he struggled and David's life was at risk at times and then David fell in love with Michal his daughter and the king said, you know, how can you receive my daughter? What is the bride's price for the king's daughter? David goes, I could not afford it. And Saul, probably threatening David's life, said, go out and get me a hundred foreskins of Philistines. Right? Foreskins meaning, you know, let's find, go find a hundred Philistines who you'll either have to murder or will be willingly circumcised. Right? A transition from being a Philistine to being a Jew. And that will be your bride price. You don't have to bring me a a, a king's ransom. You just go do this. Well, you can kind of see where Saul is leading David. Like, I feel like you're a threat. Why don't you go play with the enemies and we'll see if you come back alive. And David not only came back with 100, he came back with 200 foreskins. The overachiever that he was. David had nothing. Couldn't even afford the bride that he so loved. And yet, he lacked for nothing. And then we see this transition in David's life. And he becomes king. And as a great warrior, he's accomplished great things. The women are out in the street saying, Saul has killed thousands, but David has tens of thousands. And maybe it starts to get to David's head, because in 2 Samuel chapter 11, the very first verse begins, when kings went out to war, David stayed behind. And here's the transition. And all of a sudden, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, turns into the have-to-haves, and God seems to sort of disappear in David's character. And he lingers out. He's out on the patio of of his palace, and he sees Bathsheba. And it's a have-to-have. He demands that she be brought to him. He sleeps with her. And not only was that the have to have, it then became greater because then when she became pregnant, he had to have her husband come home. The great warrior that Uriah was. And Uriah is brought back and David says, Hey, go, be with your wife, take some time off. Except Uriah doesn't go home. He stays at the, at the palace He says, I can't. In fact, it's sort of a play on words. While my men are out under tents, right, you want me to go lie under my comfortable house and ceiling dwelling space. You want me to go be with my wife in my comfort while my men are out fighting the battle? I cannot. David did so much as to get him drunk, and it didn't matter. Everything David did was his own have-to-have. What he wanted was for himself. In fact, the story is so bad David gives Uriah a message to his commander, gives it to Uriah. Uriah, in his best character, never peeks at the message that is to his own fate. Taking it to his commanding officer who opens it, it says, put Uriah at the front of the worst battle and have everybody back off. The commander did what his king told him to do, and Uriah carried the message of his own fate as he was murdered in a battle. David thought he got away with his lust and desire, his have to haves. And you have to have no conspiracy in the kingdom, so you, you take care of it, you shove it under the rug. And it followed him the rest of his kingdom. Bathsheba had their son, but he died. His other children, there's there's constant drama. His son Amon raped his daughter, Tamar. Absalom rebelled against David. David was out and Absalom in order to claim the throne, slept with David's wives, in fact, on top of the palace, to make a point, to make a scene to everybody. I claim the throne, and this is how I'm telling you I'm doing it. David's own children... And here you have David as a king, the complexities of his life, his own mistakes. And he says, take me back. Take me to the time that I wasn't overreaching God. Take me back to a time where the security of my life, the foundation of my life was with you. I didn't step outside of you, but I walked in step with you. Many of us know this. When our wants that aren't so bad become the have-to-haves that are our undoing, I have to have the promotion. I have to have a better relationship. I have to have better health. Most of us will say it in terms of needs. I need to get better. I need this to get fixed. I need this to be right. And that's what we don't like about those words. Sometimes we use them to simply manipulate God. When in reality, we have stepped off the foundation of our presence with God. You can identify it with all the stuff we buy, the things we have to have, the moment we have to have them, and then we sort of regret because we play catch-up to afford them. But they can't go with us. J.D. Rockefeller's attorney was asked when he passed away, how much did he leave, wondering about his wealth? To which the attorney said, all of it. The Ecclesiastes writer says everyone comes naked from their mother's womb and as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. And I appreciate the symbolic gesture that we put into a casket of somebody we love. But it isn't for them. It's for us. In that moment of closure, they're not taking it with them. The three men that owned their rich friend who died owed them money. And they said to the first, what did you do? He said, I put it in his front pocket so he could take it with him. And the second, what did you do? I put it in his other pocket. I did the same thing so he could take it with him. And the third, they said, what did you do? He says, "Ah, I wrote him a check. There's some things that we get to a point we can no longer take with us. The secret of satisfaction in Philippians says, I'm not saying this because I am in need. I've learned to be content with whatever the circumstances are. What the psalmist says, the blameless spend their days under the Lord's care and their inheritance will endure forever. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. So if you're in a place ever in life where you say, I'll be happy when... I'll be happy if. What you're following that with is a have to have. And often we're overreaching. It's okay to say, I would really like to have. I would want someday. I would want to do. But when you say, I have to have, I'll be happy if. If I could get healed, if I wouldn't feel this anywhere anymore, if I could be promoted, if I can get the raise, if I could afford, if I could be married, if I could be single again. I can be rich. What if the situation that you're asking for never changed? Could you be happy with what you have? You know, Max Lucado tells us what we have. It's beautiful as he's such a poetic writer. You have the God who hears you, the power of love behind you, the Holy Spirit within you, and all of heaven ahead of you. If you have the shepherd... You have grace for every sin, direction for every turn, a candle for every corner, an anchor for every storm. You have everything you need. And who can take it from you? Can leukemia infect your salvation? Can bankruptcy impoverish your prayers? A tornado may take your house, but can it touch your heavenly home? Are you not already privileged to be a part of the greatest kingdom in history? like the Quaker's prayer over his bread and water, the feeble meal that he had. All this and Jesus too? Who could want anything else? So what will you gain with contentment? With the I am happy with where I'm at, even as I want a little bit more? I want to leave this world a better place. I want to do more to improve my marriage. I want to be a better husband, a better father, a better mother, a better wife, a better friend, a better coworker. I want, and that's okay, as long as it comes from a sure foundation and the security of the presence of the Almighty. And when it does, you'll have all that you need. Adam and Eve, it was a have-to-have, one tree in the garden, for one piece of fruit. Wouldn't you love to go back to that moment and say, Stop talking to the talking serpent! That'd be the first thing I'd say. And the second would be, It is a garden for a king. Everything around you is at your disposal. Put that want away. And don't carry that burden. It's not for you to carry. The burden of want is a curious piece of luggage, isn't it? It's like the more you put in there, the emptier it gets. The more you buy things to make your life easier, the more complicated it becomes. Don't overreach for the things you want but aren't yours to have yet. Reach for them from the presence of the shepherd. And truly with him, you will say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Let's pray. Lord, that you are the one who hears. That is your love that sustains us, your spirit that is filling within us. That you are the shepherd who has grace for every sin, direction for every turn, a candle for every corner, an anchor for every storm. You have everything we need not simply because of your presence with us but because like the shepherd you will take us to greener pastures you will take us into this world to enjoy it not to abstain from it this too is yours and it is what you would want for your children this as long as we don't overreach beyond our secure presence with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. See you next time. And remember, God is building his kingdom through the lives of everyday people, just like you.